Bitcoin Crypto. Good morning, Warriors. Hello and welcome back to another episode of your favorite crypto news channel, Good Morning Crypto, where we bring you the most relevant and impactful crypto-related topics from a top crypto research team in the world. I'm your host, Abs, joined by several members of our 3T family this morning. We got Gonzo, also known as Super G, joining us on this Tuesday. Jenna X was on the schedule, but we'll shout out to her. And we got Johnny Crypto joining us later in the episode, so I'm very excited for today's show. Today on Good Morning Crypto, we'll be discussing how Circle and Coinbase are teaming up to control the governance of USDC, as XRP is being used as a gas token on an Ethereum-compatible network. MoneyGram reveals shocking details about their 2019 meetings with the SEC, telling the world that even in 2019, XRP was not classified as a security. U.S. banks are integrating with crypto as we speak, and with former Hedera president stating Ethereum has a monopoly on utility, we break down the details, showing our community how global institutions are creating the greatest opportunity of our era. Our show is available on your favorite podcast platforms like Spotify and Apple Music. And for those of you listening via podcast, our show is live on YouTube Monday through Friday, 11 a.m. Eastern at the 3T Warrior Academy channel. So Gonzo, as you could tell from the prep this morning, we got a bunch of great news prepared for our listeners. But first of all, how are you feeling? Thanks for being here. I'm feeling outstanding. Good morning. Good morning, everybody. Yeah, man. Uh, I, I feel like it's been like forever since I got, I've been on the show. I know I know it was last week and stuff, but at any time that like, you know, we get big time gaps because uh, I, I think I had training the other day, so I, I couldn't be on. But yeah, man, super excited. Hello, everybody. Just like appreciate you guys. You guys show up every day. You're you're, you're here with us supporting us. So uh, it's going to be a great show, man. Thank you, Gonzo. And this is a, a record-breaking introduction here because we only had one to do, but we're going to get this thing started the same way we always do by checking out our Good Morning Crypto Twitter account. That is at 3TGM Crypto on Twitter. Go smash that follow button. We're giving updates throughout the day. When we look at some of the daily movers today, we've got FTT up about 4%, COMP up about 3%, and TON up about 3% on the day. The rest of the market is fairly right across the board. When we check out the Bitcoin fear and greed index, we're in fear this morning, Gonzo, sitting at a 34. But when we look at some of the prices, it is red today, that's for sure. Bitcoin is sitting at 29 or 25,900. Ethereum is 1650. XRP holding two quarters here, sitting at 51 cents. And Cardano trading at 25 cents this morning. And guys, we already got 163 live listeners joining us. Show us some love. Smash that like button. And Oren Bowers said, this helps my workday go by by listening to the show. I'm happy we can provide some value. But Gonzo, before we get into our conversations for today, we got a bunch of great topics. This is a chart I wanted everyone to see. So back in 2013, Bitcoin did something very similar to what's happening today. And I think this chart pretty much speaks for itself. We go through a bear market. We create a bullish wedge. Then we have a historic breakout. Well, what are we seeing right now, Gonzo? We have created that bullish wedge after a very long bear market, been about 18 months here. So broadly, I'd like to get your opinion. Do you think we're going to see a repeat of history? I know history doesn't repeat, but it often rhymes. Yeah, you know, I'm of the opinion that the four-year cycles, a version of the four-year cycles are, are alive and well, right? Because when you look at it, um, all we've done is just basically we're making like a higher low. Unless we break 19,000 structurally, we're still okay, right? Like we're kind of ranging now that we had that initial crash last week um, and we kind of need to hold the support. Uh, but if we lose this, then like like the next range is about 23,500. Some people say 23,600, depending on like your technical analysis. But even then, even if we had that correction and then held support there, which is the next major support, 
it's still a higher low in the structure and we're still good. We need to kind of literally break 19,000 for us to be like, oh shit, something different is happening. But what's funny is like Bitcoin hasn't done anything different, but when you look at the sentiment, it is definitely shift. You can see the fear of greed index has started to drop, but like you starting to see people talk about 15K again, 12K again. And structurally, we're, we're, we're just, we're good. We're just doing what Bitcoin does, right? We knew we were going to like come down to test that support and it ended up being 25,200. So I, I don't see anything crazy going on. If anything sticks out to me, Gonzo, it's that right now, Bitcoin still drives this market, even for projects like XRP. We are in a cyclical pattern here. And until these four-year cycles break, we're going to stick to that pattern. And what we've seen before is every single time we get a long-term bear market, we have these historic breakouts. So I do think that's some bullish news for our listeners out there. And we already got 204 live listeners joining us. Show us some love. Smash that like button. And today... It's going to be an interesting episode because we're going to be talking about the monopoly Ethereum has on utility tokens. But we're going to start off with this video right here. This is the former president of Hedera stating that Ethereum has a monopoly on being a utility token. The, the framework that I'm, I'm kind of talking to is when you raise money either by selling tokens or by selling a SAFT, which is a simple agreement for future token, you are clearly um, raising money as a security question is, is there a point at which that can be deemed a utility down the road? And is there a path to do that? And right now, Ethereum, as an example, is deemed a utility. If there isn't a path to do that, then effectively, Ethereum has a monopoly on being a utility token. And I don't think that is what is intended or serves the best interest of the world at large or the community for sure. Gonzo, this is a video from back in 2018, so obviously a little bit dated here, but I think it's super relevant to what we're seeing today. We are going to cover an article next up where XRP is being used as a gas token for an Ethereum-compatible blockchain, and I think that's what we're going to see going forward. Ethereum clearly has a monopoly on these partnerships and relationships, but they do not have a monopoly on the technology, so that's where these Layer 2s and Layer 3s come into play. What do you think? Does, does Ethereum still have a monopoly when it comes to the utility? Um. I, I, absolutely. Now, not specific utility like like you know what XRP has, right? Uh, when, it, when we talk about what its utility is, but if you look at like the totality of everything in the market, I do, right? It's the base layer. You think about all the layer twos that are building on it to scale it. Um, it has the first mover advantage, and that's kind of like where we're shifting. They're they're even like expanding. Forget about like NFTs and crypto gaming. They're like expanding into the payments. Like look at PayPal. Right. They built their stable coin right, wrong or indifferent. I understand that there's better technology and all that, but that's where they built it on. They built it on Ethereum. Right. Um, and, th and that's going to be huge. You look at what base did base creating um, their own layer two. Right. I'm sorry. What Coinbase did with building their own layer two. Right. It doesn't have a token, but there's a lot of liquidity being tied up on base um, and. I understand that there are better technologies. I understand that there are cheaper things, but like they're the ones that got the free pass. They had the first mover advantage. We have all the drama with Bill Hinman and everything that he did. But until somebody unseats them, this is what we have, right? And you, and you look at a, account abstraction. I understand the gas fees and all that, but you have to pay attention to what the layer twos are doing and with the next upgrade and what they're doing with account abstraction. Pretty soon, you won't even need a wallet anymore, right? They're, they're going to be able to do all kinds of different things. But, um, you know, we'll see how it plays out at the end. 
Gonzo, this is some shocking information for the XRP community. And believe it or not, I haven't seen a single other channel cover this content. So we got 220 people here. This may be the first time you're hearing this. Show us some love. Smash that like button for this investigative journalism here. Earlier in 2019, MoneyGram met with the SEC privately nearly a half dozen times. And specifically, they were discussing currencies like Bitcoin, Ethereum, Litecoin, and of course, XRP in the process. Now, why is this important, guys? Because in 2019, Jay Clayton himself, the chairman of the SEC, highlighted that XRP did not classify as a security. Instead, it was acknowledged that the cryptocurrency market was quickly growing and XRP was classified as a cryptocurrency during that time. How are we sitting here in 2023 still debating this, Gonzo? I'm really not sure, but it is very interesting. Back in 2019, we're going to go through this whole document later in the show. A lot of information here. Back in 2019, MoneyGram met privately with the SEC nearly a half dozen times. And Jay Clayton stated himself, at that time, XRP, in their opinion, was not qualified as a security what do you think? Let me just get some statements here before we continue with the show. Are you surprised that back in 2019, the man who brought the lawsuit against Ripple acknowledged privately that XRP was not a security? No, I'm not. I, I mean, I'm not, nothing surprises me now about the SEC. I've talked about this before. It almost seems like it's a culture thing over there with the way that, that people act. You know, their main mission is supposed to be um, you know, to protect investors, but that's not what they've done. They've either protected their own pockets or the pockets of kind of like the, the, the trad five guys, right? Um, you saw this in the ripple case when, um, when judge Torres kind of scolded the sec saying that, um, they were not following the allegiance to the law. Right. Um, and we see this time and time again with, with what you see happen with Bill Hinman and all of that corruption, um, so yeah, it, I'm not, I'm not surprised. I'm not shocked. Something else that you may not find shocking Gonzo is that he actually met with Gary Gensler just one day before exiting the sec. And specifically they were talking about cryptocurrencies during that meeting. So I think it is safe to assume that XRP came up during those conversations, but guys, this is a video out of one of our friends, Tony Edward, that's going to break the internet here as Jay Clayton was given a free pass, not by the sec or the CFTC, but by the Federal Reserve. So check this content out. We'll comment here. It's the thing. So we have an advisor who's working with Custodia who spent her entire career at the Fed. And she wrote an op-ed in American Banker in December. And she said, look, the Fed should have caught this because they acquired, Alameda, the, the affiliate of FTX, acquired 80% of the equity of Farmington State Bank, aka Moonstone Bank. Hmm. And that tripped the control rules that she herself helped write at the Fed. And they should have applied, they being FTX, should have applied for approval from the Fed to make that acquisition, and they did not. Now, what is interesting is that the Fed didn't, didn't discuss that point in its cease and desist order today. Hmm. Also, Jay Powell met with Sam Bankman-Fried for one hour just weeks before that March 2022 acquisition made by Alameda of that of 80 percent of the of the equity of that bank. Wow! I have no idea what they talked about, but not a lot of people get a full hour with Jay Powell and Sam Bankman-Fried yeah. did. <laughs> Gonzo, it's interesting that this video came out yesterday because we played a video on our show discussing how Sam Bankman-Fried is the perfect pawn to use as the as the crypto dark horse here. What they're painting the picture of is that this industry is not only controlled by people who don't know what they're doing, they're controlled by corruption. And what we're seeing here is 
Uh, Sam Bankman-Fried had a one-hour meeting with Jerome Powell right before they collapsed. So they went out, purchased 80% of Farmington Bank, then began to mint FTT tokens through that bank, gave themselves 50% of the revenue, and all of this was approved by the Federal Reserve. So very, very interesting. I'd like to get some thoughts, and I'll give my two cents. Yeah, you know, like this is what happens when you have money and you have influence and power is what he bought himself, right? If you look at like Sam Bankman-Fried and you stat strip away all of the money, right, all the contributions, and you just looked at him, you would just think like that there was something wrong with him, right? That, you know, he's a little bit off, right? Like when you hear him talk, right, with his mannerisms and everything, right? And so people's spidey senses should have been going off, but because he had billions of dollars, they just overlooked that and it just opened all these doors. Even though, like, to me, like, he always seemed like a buffoon. Like I said, I I never invested in FTT or FTX or any of that. Just because when I'd see him talk and I'd hear the stories that he would say, it didn't just, it didn't, I guess we weren't on that same uh, vibrational frequency. It just, it, like, I would hear him talk and I'd be like, this guy's a buffoon. He's an idiot. I don't, like, I don't care how much money he has. Like, I, this guy seems like a total idiot. Um, you know, really like, talk about like sleeping under the desk. Yeah. I want to kick it straight back to you here, but I remember the marketing campaign that was ran around Sam Bankman-Fried, and there were two things that stuck out to me. The first thing is that they touted him as the modern-day J.P. Morgan, right? So this guy is going to revolutionize banking the same way J.P. Morgan did. But the second thing that stuck out to me is they talked about this is a man who doesn't care about money. He's got $10 billion, but he drives the old car. He lives in a small apartment, and he just plays video games like the rest of us. So I thought the marketing campaign behind this guy was genius. And I think if we see something similar, we should look for those red flags. But please continue. No, you, you're right. Like the, the way they sold it to us. But but that's that that's an oxymoron, right? He doesn't care about money. Then how the hell did he make billions, right? No one, anyone that 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 has worked, that has built something to that level, of course they care about money, right? They, that's what they care about. That's how they put this thing together. The fact that he was acting like, so unless someone just handed him over the billions of dollars, there was something that was off. Right. It just but that just goes to show like it didn't he had all that money, all that power, all that influence because he donated to um, to, to Congress and it opened up doors for him. And then people just didn't want to see uh, the red flags that were there. Right. And, and some of them probably even saw opportunities for them to make money and to make backdoor deals. Like we know what happened with the federal, they were trying to create a federal bit license, right? Like they have in New York city. And then now you see something that's going on here. We're like, think about it. Like he, he got to meet an hour with Jerome Powell. Not everyone gets to do that. Right. And, and so obviously there was things going on behind the scenes. Becomes, I think what becomes more clear than ever, Gonzo, is we like to blame the SEC. We like to blame the CFTC. The Federal Reserve had a major role to play here. And when he donated $40 million to U.S. politicians, I think the idea behind that was to buy a free pass. Even if this thing collapses before our eyes, Sam Bankman-Fried, he'll pay a fine, which will be just 10% of the money he revenated anyways, and then just move on with his life. So I just wanted to get some thoughts there. Do you think Sam Bankman-Fried had a plan with these one-hour meetings with Jerome Powell they must have discussed how this stuff was going down. Um, you know, if you listen to Mark Uso, he thinks that he is a, not a mastermind of anything, right? That he's a useful idiot. And, and and when you look at the overall, like how it all went down, it sure does seem like there are more people involved, right? Uh, because like when you look at her and then you look at Caroline and you look at the things that she said, like I remember there's that famous video that we always watched where they asked her about stop losses and she kind of laughed it off. 
and then kind of like, oh, what? what's that? I don't use stop losses, right? Of course you don't use stop losses. You can't lose the trade, right? And the fact that like, think about this. They could, literally had a God mode, right? So they couldn't lose trades. And the fact that they still lost all that money just really shows how incompetent they are, right? Because they should have been, they should have been able to like keep the thing going and keep making money, but they were so incompetent that they didn't track where it went and what they were doing with it. And they, and then, so when we got the major pullback in the market, uh, they lost it all. Keep in mind, guys, this is the man they were touting as the modern day JP Morgan. Yet he couldn't figure out how to corrupt while he has a corrupt advantage win in this market. The algorithmic trading that they were able to complete was historic. And the Gonzo highlighted it there. They had a massive competitive advantage when it came to trading, not only because they could mint free tokens, but they had a volume advantage. They were playing with billions in liquidity to manipulate projects. But guys, we got 290 live listeners here. Show us some love, smash that like button. And this next conversation is going to be centered around an Ethereum ETF and how the maximalists say there's nothing holding them back. The main thing for me with the ETH futures ETF, it basically means that Ethereum won't be a security. Um, I think that ship has sailed um, and it's going to allow people to get a lot more exposure to ETH than they would have um, the same way the people get exposure to Bitcoin through the futures ETF. Um, so I think it's huge. Um, I don't know how deep down sort of the coin market cap we can go as far as what's going to be considered a security or not. Mm. But I think for sure Ethereum, that ship has sailed um, and Ethereum will be considered a commodity regulated by CFTC moving forward. So Gonzo, Gonzo, I don't think it's a leap here. You can go three tokens down, guys. You can say Bitcoin, Ethereum, and XRP for now do not qualify as securities. But I want to kick it over to Gonzo and have a better conversation. With the Ethereum ETF seeming like it's on the horizon, we covered an article, October is when the SEC is anticipating they will approve it. What do you think is really happening here? Is this a free pass being given? Or is Ethereum truly decentralized enough to just forget the ICO and move on? You know, I, I think that just depends on you, right? It seems like people, look, I, I've always said this, the way that I my investment thesis is, is I keep Ethereum separate than what when we talk about like ETHgate, I believe that ETHgate, I believe that all that corruption occur. And then I also look at Ethereum as a technology. And all I tell people is do your own research and go down deep. I, I find that when I'm talking to people about Ethereum, like it's just like parroting, well, yeah, we know we have guys face or you used like Ethereum and you paid a high gas fee in the last bull run, but like go deeper, look at what they're building. Look at what account abstraction is. Look at how they're redoing wallets so that you don't need a seed phrase, right? There, who else is doing things like that? You have the layer twos that are coming in and with the next upgrade, it's going to be pennies on the dollar to use those layer twos, right? The final piece will, will be to do the, to do the upgrade that finally reduces the gas fees on Ethereum, but they're probably doing that on purpose, right? Like th they're making money. Let's not, let's not confuse it, right? They're making money, but these layer twos are coming in and they're just building a whole nother layer of the internet. And all I'm saying is I'm not going to love Ethereum forever. This is a investment for me when I'm going to pull profits in the next bull run. I might even sell completely out of Ethereum and then in the next bear market, we'll see where Ethereum's at or we'll see where the next investment thesis is. So it's not like I'm an Ethereum maxi and I'm all in, but you really need to look at what they're building and what's going on. Not just like, oh, it has high gas fees or it's slow or it's this or that, because I'm telling you, it's the same thing with Solana, right? Like I started going deep down in Solana because the, the narrative around Solana is that it breaks, right? And while it went down, 
they they are fixing those situations and with jump crypto they are really up they are really pushing out tr um, transactions per second with solana right they're, they're trying to build something special again that is a whole nother blockchain and it's looking at things differently it it's one blockchain right Go ahead. John, I wanted to get a brief comment in here. One of the things that sticks out to me about Ethereum, and we started off the show with this video. We said Ethereum has a monopoly on utility. And one of the biggest advantages that this project had for the first decade of crypto was the private relationships behind the scenes. The relationships with Joseph Lubin had with the SEC is what led to Ethereum being used by many institutions. So as an Ethereum investor, as am I, for the record, are you worried about a natural migration into better technologies and away from Ethereum over the next half decade? Obviously, yeah, there are better technologies, right? So you have to keep, you know, we have to keep our pulse on it, right? We have to see what happens. Like you could have a catastrophic event where when they come in with the next upgrade that they do something bad and it actually comes crashing down, right? Um, there are a lot of things that can happen. Just like, you know, XRP in the lawsuit to the second circuit could get, Judge Shores could get overturned, right? It would devastate the price, right? There are all these different things that, can happen, but we have to keep an eye on it, right? And that's why I say keep it separate as an investment thesis. When it's time to buy in, you buy in. When it's time to sell, you sell. W regardless of what blockchain it is or what crypto it is, you know, well, like we say, don't trip by the dip. You have all these different sayings, right? Don't don't marry it, right? Just date it, whatever the saying is. They're there for a reason, right? They're there for a reason. Right? Also, I think that's your dating advice, right? Right? <laughs> just kidding. It, it's, it's all there. Like the whole market is emotion, right? It's there to manipulate your emotions, right? It's there to get people to believe a certain way and, and to get really toxic and to hold on to certain ideas while the price goes up and down, up and down. And you could the whole time be making money, right? And so everyone has to do what's best for them. Like that's why we tell people have an investment thesis, have a plan and execute that plan. So you don't fall into like that whole emotion trap. So Gonzo, let me just ask you one more time. Are you worried about a natural migration into better technologies? First of all, waters above shout out to my friend what's out there. Up, he says he loves your dating advice, Gonzo. So shout out to you. <laughs> we don't just do crypto on this channel, guys. We do all this stuff, but I wanted to get your thoughts one last time. Are you worried about a migration into better technologies or do you think we'll see a compatibility solution come into effect? What do you mean? Like as far as Ethereum? Yeah, with the layer twos being incorporated like Polygon and Matic in order to speed up transactions? Or do you think they'll just move on to different blockchains like the XRPL or XLM, for example? No, you know, I think Ethereum is it for now, right? I, I mean, if you look at all these other blockchains, what do they have? EVM compatibility, right? They all want to connect to Ethereum because Ethereum is where it's at right now, right? Until Ethereum gets dethroned, that's that's what we have, right? That is the next layer of the internet, right? All of these layer twos are trying to scale Ethereum. They're all trying to connect to Ethereum. You have other blockchains that are trying to. Oh, we just you just went mute on us, gone. So I'm not sure what happened there. But guys, we got 325 live listeners here joining us. Show us some love. Smash that like button. And this is a video I know Gonzo is going to have some comments on because this is a video discussing Ethereum's and Joseph Lubin's relationship to Bill Hinman, Jay Clayton, and the good guy here, Hester Pierce, when it comes to the Ethereum ICO. So here we go, guys, and we'll kick it back to the group. Ethereum too had its own ICO, you know, back in the day. Maybe we called it a token launch. We were very careful to stay away from the term ICO because it leads people to believe uh, that it's something akin to an IPO, and it wasn't. So you don't think that that's a, that ICO at the very beginning or that token launch? My my apologies. 
you don't think that that's going to end up being regulated as something that was I, a security I, I sale in the end? I think we heard a statement already uh, to the effect that uh, uh, Ether or transactions involving Ether uh, are not considered uh, securities transactions. And that statement was from Bill Hinman Gonzo. And sorry, guys, I didn't realize the audio was so low there. So just a preference for later viewers, turn the volume up for that video. But Gonzo, I wanted to get some of your thoughts. The Ethereum ICO is becoming questioned more by the day. Why were they allowed to ICO in the U.S.? Why did Bill Hinman give them a free pass? Our community has figured out many of the answers, but the one question everyone's still asking, will there be a day where Ethereum is prosecuted for the ICO? And that's the question I have for you. Is there a dark day looming from the SEC or not? Uh, you mean like, is Bill Hinman going to get in trouble or is Ethereum going to get in trouble? Like I said, I think that let's shit go with consensus. Failed, right? let's, say, let's not say Bill Hinman. Let's say, is consensus going to be in trouble for the way that they went about the Ethereum ICO? I, I, you know, I don't think so. I think that ship has sailed. Like you think about it, like they were the first ICO, right? And, and the whole reason, like, the, why did they do it? Is to make money, right? Like Bill Hinman worked for the law firm that was advising them on the first ICO, right? If you have to go back into that mindset, into that time frame of what was going on, right? No one had done an ICO before, and so they went out and they leveraged their relationships. They leveraged their whatever money they had because they weren't the Ethereum that we know today, right? And they created this thing called an ICO, right? It hadn't been done before. And they tried to get as much clarity or a free pass as they could. Bill Hinman, right, sees this, sees the opportunity, right? And then going to the SEC and gives it the famous speech and then it runs. They're already invested in it. But at the end of the day, no, I don't. Right. I don't. But, but do you think that like, speaks to a bigger issue, Gonzo? Because I know a lot of us want these projects to succeed. And I'm in the same boat. I don't think Ethereum should be, I guess, sued for their ICO because they had to ICO. How else do you launch a token? But I do think that if we allow uh, corruption like this to take place and then just turn a blind eye to it, we're going to see more of it in the future. And I do have a video correlating to that. So is that a concern for you? If we don't prosecute Ethereum, that that means corruption is basically being allowed. Look, I I. It'd be cool if it was a perfect world that we lived in. They did things like that. But again, because it's separate than my investment thesis into Ethereum, the technology, to me, it, 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 just, it really just doesn't matter, right? I, like I'm looking at Ethereum as an investment thesis and you know I have my investments and when it goes up, I'm going to pull profits and that's what I'm in it for. Like we talk about the news and we give our opinion, stuff like that. But I, I just don't think like if we were going to see something like you saw all the evidence that's rolled out so far, we just, I just don't see it, right? Unless like someone from Congress or someone way up the food chain decides that, hey, there's enough noise about this and they make an issue out of it. I just don't see them doing anything about it. Gonzo, and this is an article all of our listeners should be aware of. As the MoneyGram and Ripple partnership is coming into effect, as the crypto industry is warming up for a MoneyGram partnership with XRP, after the Coinbase relisting. And this is thankful. Shout out to uh, Jay Clayton and shout out to Gary Gensler here because after this lawsuit, we should see a lot more partnerships when it comes to companies like MoneyGram. So XRP returned to Coinbase listings following its impartial win, impartial, that's pretty funny, against the SEC. Now, what's interesting about this whole article is what I'm going to scroll down to right here. Back in 2019, MoneyGram and Ripple's technology combined to create a cross-border settlement system. This followed with a $50 million investment contract the following year from Ripple. MoneyGram gained $11.3 million from its collaboration with Ripple Labs, and this was received over two quarters in 2019. The first quarter was $2.4 million. The second quarter was just below $9 million. Now, after the SEC sued Ripple for offering an unregistered security, both companies terminated their contract in March of 2021. 
But after this court ruling on July 13th, XRP was classified to not be a security. And this means that the green light has been given to MoneyGram to reannounce this partnership. Now, John Deaton actually took the time to comment on this issue and highlights how the actions from the former SEC chairman days before he left the agency. So there's two key details here about what Jay Clayton did just before he left. Number one is he sued Ripple three days before exiting the SEC. But number two, he met with the current SEC chairman, Gary Gensler, just one day before clearing the Ripple Labs case. And of course, Gary was quickly appointed after Jay Clayton left the SEC. Now, John Deaton argues that the SEC's theory regarding XRP's classification doesn't ally with the nature and partnership of MoneyGram and Ripple. In June of 2019, MoneyGram openly communicated with the SEC about its involvement with XRP, and the SEC even offered guidance on the issue. Now, here's where it gets interesting. In the report offered by the SEC, Jay Clayton himself signed off that XRP was not a security at the time. This report highlighted XRP alongside other major cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin, Ethereum, and Litecoin. And in this, they classified them as securities. I mean, sorry, they classified them as cryptocurrencies and not securities. So months before Ripple faced legal action, the SEC explicitly stated that XRP was not a security. This is six months before the SEC sued Ripple. So there's a lot of information, but take it in as you will. The spotlight turns towards MoneyGram now with a strategic response as XRP was obviously confirmed to not be a security. Such a move will strengthen MoneyGram's cross-border payments technology three years after partnering with traditional payments giant Visa. So we could see Visa, Stellar, Ripple, and MoneyGram working together in this latest partnership, Gonzo. But the question I have for you is, we talked about it at the beginning of the episode, Jay Clayton stated XRP was not a security before he sued Ripple Labs. Is that going to come into effect? How did none of this get acknowledged during the lawsuit? I don't understand. I, I, you know, I, I don't know how verified it is. I don't think it really matters, bro, to be honest with you, because Judge George has already made her ruling. I was like reading in the comments. I, we absolutely don't think that her, Judge George's ruling will be, um, will be overturned. I don't know where, where that came from. Um, but when you look at how, like, if you read the decision, you look how she applied the Howie test. I've said this before. Like she hasn't even applied all the three prongs, right? She would just look at a situation, apply the first prong. And then if it didn't match, boom, she moved on to the next one. So there are so many other ways for her decision to be upheld by the second circuit, right? You have this thing with the SEC that they like to skip over the prong about common enterprise. And a lot of the times when they look at a common enterprise, it's all of us putting our money together and then we either make money together or we lose money together, right? But that all happens together, right? With XRP, it's different. Depending on what you do with your XRP depends on whether you make money or you lose money, right? If I took my XRP and I put it on a platform like Celsius to gain a little bit of uh, rewards or a percentage of, 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 uh, of, uh, of rewards, like I was saying, um, then I lost my XRP, right? It, it went, when they went bankrupt, they, I lost my XRP and now I have to fight with them to get whatever I'm going to get back. Whereas if I just held on to my XRP, I'm good right now, right? And so that is one piece of it that they always kind of skip over. They always go to the other, the other parts of the Howie test. And so there are so many ways for her ruling to get upheld. So I, I think they're going to, you know, I think when you look at the simple application of the Howey test on this thing, 
it, it wins every time or her decision is going to be upheld and they're going to win every time. They've already said it's not a security. And when you apply it to multiple prongs of the Howey test, they're going to have an issue trying to say that it is. Lucky for us, Gonzo, this is a global market, not an American market. So if the SEC decides to put their foot down on crypto, this industry will thrive outside of the U.S. It won't be shut down completely. And guys, we got 305 live listeners here. Show us some love. Smash that like button. And this is a video talking about the Internet of Value that's being created on XRP and specifically how it starts in the Republic of Palu. Here's some groundbreaking information because what they say here is what they're building on XRP is compatible with almost every country on the planet. So very, very exciting. Experience and over the you know coming the last year and a half or so of this project, do you think this will be more widely accepted by other countries? We we saw Palau lead, but do you think this is you know from your experience going to become more wide scale? I mean, we're we we were the first to you know to start testing. Uh, I think uh, I believe CV, uh, uh, Ripple has CBDC programs being explored with Montenegro, mm-hmm. uh, Bhutan, and and a couple of others. Uh, but the the beauty of it is the technology, the blockchain, the blockchain technology, uh, and the, the the solution design can be exported to any country and really used anywhere. It's not specific to. Yeah, I think it sounds particularly because it was the CBDC was linked to the U.S. dollar. Yes. So this could be much more widely used. Any country essentially that uses the U.S. dollar can exactly. use the same. And very, any, I mean, it's, and it's not. Any country that U.S. uses the U.S. dollar can easily use the Ripple system, Gonzo. And this is a video that I want to connect with what the BRICS nations are doing today. Because what we're seeing right now from the BRICS nations is a massive global expansion. What he says here is they're actually building a digital payment system. Let's talk about it. So you've talked about investment in big infrastructure projects with Belt and Road. You've talked about digitalization. I'm wondering, might this summit make um, a big step towards trade de-dollarization and if so what impact that might have well certainly i think the global south countries i mean the BRICS country have suffered quite a bit of this uni, unipolar world and i think that is really we were seeing a, a de-globalization going on we are seeing the multilateral organization has been uh, been set back by certain countries wto and and uh, you know all those multilateral treatment and and so I think now it's high time that uh, BRICS countries, and together with the rest of the world, to work together to safeguard the multilateral system. But also we need some innovations. We can just not uh, uh, put all the eggs in one basket. So I think they have uh, uh, some diversification of, of payment system or have a bit of a digital payment system, which is fine. I think uh, BRICS countries should have some, some experiment on that. So you've... So like he just said there, Gonzo, they're building a digital payment system and they're seeing mass adoption from different countries around the world, while the United States is trying to focus on a center, a central bank digital currency and the Fed now system. Believe it or not, as an American, I actually like the idea of a decentralized system much more than a global superpower. But what do you think? As they're building their digital payment system, will we see some of these public protocols be used? We hope so. Like that is the plan, right? That's why we're investing in these. Um, you would think... You know, a lot of the times that we've seen in the hit in like in history that government has leaned on the private sector to um, build technologies and to expand technologies. Um, I think some will try to kind of do it on their own and then they'll fail uh, and then others will lean on on private. Right. And so I, I think we're going to see kind of a conglomeration. Right. You're going to see all these CBDCs that are going to be built on different networks and then you're going to need a connection point. That's why we love quant. Right. That's why some people like 
link, right? Because you're going to have all these different protocols, right? All these different rails, and they're all going to need a connection point, right? But, um, you know, you're going to have XLM, XRP, and that you're going to have quant. Um, it just depends on how it goes, right? We have to see that as the technology develops and as they actually build the CBDC, we have to see what it's built on and how it's doing and how it's getting adoption and then um, how it goes from there, right? Because that'll give us some kind of indicators on which way to go. But that's why we love all the ISO tokens, right? Uh, because we can see an actual use case built into them um, and we're speculating that at some point the utility is going to kick in and uh, you know we're going to get price appreciation. Right. Gonzo, you know what I like out of all this news is that what Ethereum got in the United States with their quote unquote free pass and ETHgate and all that, it does seem like we're seeing a non-corrupt version of the same thing play out with Ripple in the central banks. If you look at what crypto companies are partnered with financial institutions, it's really only three. It's Consensus, which is Ethereum, Ripple, which is XRP, and Stellar, which is XLM. Now we can talk about XDC, HBAR, Quant Network, and so on, but the big three are the first three that I named. So I just want to ask you, is this a test box for a global economy? Like he said, this is going to be compatible with anyone using the U.S. dollar. And I think it's just a beta test before the real thing's rolled out. Yeah, man. I mean, because like you, you see all these different stories that we always review and look, right? And then I remember them saying that the BRIC nations were going to come out with their own currency, but it was going to be backed by gold and they were buying gold. And then you look at like the price of gold lately, right? Like it, it's, it's going down, right? You know, we had a correction in the S&P and the NASDAQ and gold. Um, but then you had the DXY that wasn't really kind of moving up. So it's like, where is that money going? Right. And, and so that's really the key is figuring that out because we want to follow the money. Um, so, you know, whether they come out with a gold based currency or the BRICS nations come out with a digital kind of protocol based currency, they're going to do something right because we're, we're watching. It's not going to happen tonight. It's not going to happen next week or next year. But we're seeing the the U.S. dollar being um, being uh, pushed out as the world reserve currency, right? It, uh, it's going to still take time, but but that that's kind of where we're going in the future. And what have we seen in the past from Ripple? Ninety five percent of global GDP and global trade markets can use Ripple's product, and this is a statistic all of those countries are aware of. Right now, it costs six percent of your $200 transaction to send your money cross border. That means 51% of all transactions are paying 6% when they could be paying a fraction of a penny if they use these new protocols. And guys, we got 318 live listeners here. Show us some love, smash that like button. And Gonzo, final question when it comes to the XRPL's integration, I just stated 95% of global trade markets are compatible with what Ripple is built on the XRPL. So with what we're seeing in Palu, is that just a test box for a global rollout? I know I asked you, but I'm not sure if I got an answer. Yeah, I mean, I thought I did. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I think so. Like, that's what they always do, though, when you're talking about technology. They're going to implement it on a smaller version or a smaller country. And then when it works, they scale, right? That, that I mean, at the core, this is how everything is. Sorry, it looks like my, that's weird. My uh, laptop is going to die. I don't know why. All right, Gonzo, I'll cover you here. This is a pretty cool price yeah. chart as well. I got a really good article we're going to end the show with where XRP is being used as a gas token for an Ethereum compatible network. But this is a price chart that Kevin Cage put out earlier this week. And I thought it was very relevant to what happened today because believe it or not, all the way back here, I was involved in this crypto market and specifically, I was holding XRP. I remember the COVID crash. 
I remember when we went from about 30 cents to I think it was 12 cents during that time. But what are we seeing right here? Something very similar to an indicator we've seen in the past. Right before XRP was sued by the SEC, or I should say Ripple, the token went from about 25 cents to just below 70 cents in total market cap. That was quickly followed by the SEC lawsuit and a massive dip in price from 70 cents, wicking all the way down to about 16 and a half cents during that time. Well, what are we going through right now, Gonzo? We had a classic technical breakout, right? This is technical. This isn't based off the news. A technical breakout with the XRP lawsuit ending, and we got what I would call a God candle, taking us from about 46 cents all the way to just below 95 cents. What have we seen since then? Perfectly predicted, perfectly correlated pullback in the price chart. And now we are sitting on top of that 200-day moving average. So for me, this is a huge bullish indicator, not only for XRP, but for the price charts in general. And what gets me excited about the XRP price chart is that the sentiment is so low around this project right now. A lot of people were waiting for that lawsuit to end so we could see $2, $5, $10. Well, we went below a dollar and now we've seen a pullback since then. So I just wanted to get your opinion. Is this a bullish indicator? Quick rise. Now we're back, back testing support. Um, yeah. So my opinion in this is that I, I believe we're going to go as Bitcoin goes because that's that's what we've seen, right? And so if Bitcoin decides to have one more bounce up and it rips up to that $30,000 level, then you know what? XRP is going to break out, right? Um, because that's what we've seen time and time again. Um, and right now with the way of the overall market, there just isn't a lot of liquidity. Now, we what we could have is like a pullback in Bitcoin and then a small pullback in XRP and then it's all going to run together, right? So we still need like Bitcoin to run with the rest of the market to run and then XRP will run. Until XRP shows us that it can break away and it just hasn't done that. It's just not in the charts. We've had the most bullish news ever. They won the lawsuit and we got 93 cents and got rejected at a major, major support. So that's why I like the more and more I look at this, the more and more I lean into my TA and the charts and just try to like, not pay attention to the news and just focus on that. So as these markets move in cycles, Gonzo, this is how these cycles work. Bitcoin rises in price. That money is then moved into Ethereum and other major altcoins. Then it goes into small cap coins. What we're showing right now is the show is the chart we started the show with. And it shows the correlation between 2013, 2017, 2021. And I'm assuming 2024 slash 2025. Now, if XRP, I mean, sorry, if Bitcoin went from 26,000 to what they're anticipating, Let's call it 120K. They're actually stating we could go higher, but I'll call it 120K. What do you think would happen to XRP during that time? The money would move into Bitcoin, then into Ethereum, and then XRP. So what, what were some realistic price targets that you're looking at? Uh, you know, I actually just gave some of those to Jackie. 14 to $15, I think on the extended side, 22 to 24. That's off the Fib polls and some of the Gamatria. Um, but yeah. So, but I think most of them are going to come out uh, for me at like that 14 to $15 level, but I do have price targets at 20, 22 and uh, 24. Again, I'm not completely selling out. There's always a bag that I have for way into the future, but that's how, that, that's how they're scaled. Uh, you know, the you lower ones, go, go ahead. Uh, are you anticipating to get to those price targets? We're going to need utility. Or are you saying that we're just going to see those high of price targets in your speculation, just through these market cycles of liquidity going from one project to the next? 
I'm saying just in the matter of what the cycles are, right? Because when you look at when we made an all-time high before, even though it didn't beat the previous, we're in the middle of a lawsuit, right? And then look what happened. We won the lawsuit and all we got was 93 cents, right? And then we immediately came right back down to the 80 cent level. We couldn't hold it. And then now we're down at the bottom. So I, I think it's an overall market thing. Once, like you figure, like the last bull run was what? About 3 trillion estimates are somewhere between seven and 10 trillion for the next bull run. If we get that, then that's where we're going to see all those price movements, right? And for Dogecoin, all the top projects. If Dogecoin can go to $40 billion, Gonzo, then I guarantee you XRP can go to some of these prior, higher price targets. And some of them that I'm looking sure. for, guys, is I'm going to be really appreciative if we can break all-time high. If we can break all-time high with the XRP price chart, we're going to see price targets that I think many people aren't anticipating, or, and they could be as high as Gonzo's, right? Like as high as $12, $14, $27, and that's really what I'm excited for. But guys, this is the video I wanted to end our show on because XRP is being used as a gas token with an EVM-compatible blockchain. We're going to see much more of this going forward. XRP is set to play a revolutionary role as a gas token on an innovative blockchain known as the Root Network. XRP holders and significantly expand the assets functionality here. So Gonzo, we're going to see a massive influx into XRP through use cases like this. This decentralized app network is using XRP as a gas token. This is huge, guys. The Root Network is a blockchain that harmoniously interacts with the Ethereum virtual machine. And the fact that the substrate isn't EVM compatible, it means it's possible to run smart contracts and decentralized apps built on top of Ethereum. So you're going to be able to take your EVM smart contracts and upload them onto Root Network, then use XRP as a gas token. This is huge, guys. This is absolutely massive. With the Root Network, XRP will assume a critical functional role of a gas token. Users may pay gas fees to perform transactions and engage in decentralized applications. By utilizing XRP as a gas token, network participants can effortlessly settle these fees, enhancing accessibility to the network. That is the first bullish catalyst here, but listen to the second one. This got me really excited. However, the token on the root network root will predominantly be used as a staking token to bolster network security and facilitate governance. Participants engaged in the staking will receive XRP as a reward. So if you stake your root token, you are earning XRP in the process. Gonzo, what do you think? We talked about this at the beginning of the episode. The solution to Ethereum could be products like this, using a scaling solution to diminish those gas fees and keep the smart contracts in place. What do you think? Is this huge news for Ethereum, huge news for XRP? What's it mean to you? Um, you know, I, I, I'd have to look at a uh, look behind like the technology more and uh, you kind of know what a substrate is to see like, you know, how much of a gas fee is it, right? Like, is it like the fractions of a cent um, or is it something more? Because I, I don't know anything about the root, but um, I will say this. Um, I, w I can foresee a world where Ethereum is the base layer and all these other things like XRP and all these other things end up like layer twos that are a connection point and then built on top of it, right? Um, we'll see how it plays out, but it seems like that is where we are like, you know, moving towards, right? When you see the layer twos and you see everyone making an EVM capable blockchain, it that seems like where we're going. Now, could that change? Like if XRP and the XRPL gets real traction and, 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 you know, somebody rolls out a CBDC and some other huge big use cases, then yeah, it absolutely can transition because we already know that it's better technology, but unfortunately better technology doesn't always win. You can go all throughout history and look 
at situations where there was better technology and they didn't win, right? Sorry, I'm going to ask you to stall for just another minute here, Gonzo. So okay. give me your take on this as no well. With you know what's funny is I saw the 589 price thing, like uh, like one of the exit prices, because I know we gave some really high ones, but like besides like 670, 760, uh, you know, I, I think I put one as like as a joke, like five $5.89, right? And then, I, like I said, I wouldn't be surprised if we spent a little bit of time at 0.589. I think you're and muted. I apologize for that, Gonzo. I got stuck on the mute button there. But I was looking for this tweet right here because this got me excited. Grayscale and the SEC's case is expected to get a resolution tomorrow. And Bloomberg analysts give a 70% chance of Grayscale winning this lawsuit. Well, look at what Grayscale put out today. Our ETF team is hiring, and I think that could be an indicator we're going to get some positive news out of this Grayscale lawsuit. So before we get into our last article for today, Gonzo, if Grayscale wins this thing, how quickly are we going to see Ethereum ETFs hit the market? Well, I mean, if Grayscale wins this thing, the first thing that we're going to see is what happens with Bitcoin with the bounce, right? Because this is really the first indicator with the spot ETF that BlackRock and everyone else has filed. Like this is really, I feel, is the pivot point, right? Like what happens with Grayscale? And I think that the SEC is kind of waiting to make an approval on their spot Bitcoin ETF on this. Because if they win this, they don't have to approve the other one, right? And so you could see something where we can get really, like the, the market can really correct. Now, if they win, if, if Grayscale wins the case, then the path is forward or is clear for uh, that spot ETF and then everything else. I think we're going to get the few, I think you asked about, Ethereum. I think we're going to get an Ethereum futures ETF this year, but a spot ETF is a lot different, right? And so we're going to need a Bitcoin spot ETF. But I, like I said before, we want an ETF, uh, uh, um, an Ethereum spot ETF, because that opens the door for an XRP spot ETF, right? Once they approve something like Ethereum, it opens the door for all the other ones. Gonzo, this is a great article here to end this article and the show on as Coinbase and Circle are teaming up to get total control of USDC. And guys, show us some love. Smash that like button. Thank you for being here on this Tuesday. I'm really excited to go over this article. But what really catches my attention here, Gonzo, is that the crypto market seems to be coming more centralized by the day. We talk about decentralization every single day on this channel. But it's articles like this that take a decentralized product and make it that much more controlled. So I'm excited to talk about this. Coinbase is snapping up an equity stake in Circle with the two companies looking to cement their control over the issuance and governance of USDC. Now, they're also going to be splitting the revenue generated. Terms of Coinbase equity stake in Circle were not specifically disclosed, but the two will shutter, will center in the Center Consortium, a voluntary governance group created five years ago to oversee USDC. As part of the arrangement, USDC is set to launch six new unspecified blockchains starting this September. Now, Circle said the structure will streamline operations and governance, enhancing the direct accountability of Circle as the initial issuer. Circle said it would take over full control of USDC issuance and governance as part of this deal. And I'd like to pause it there for some comments, Gonzo. Is this good or is this bad for the industry? That's a very simple question, but I'd like to get your opinion. You know, you're always going to have some form of centralization because when you talk about large amounts of money and you talk about the billions of dollars that come into the space, they're going to want some kind of control. They're going to want some kind of security, right? Some kind of reassurances. And while in that perfect world, we love decentralization and I wish that it could be that way. 
you know, it starts centralized and then it moves towards decentralized, right? And so I think we're going to get a combination of, of, of the both. You're going to have some things that are very decentralized and other things that are very centralized. And depending on your investment thesis or like whether you're a hedge fund or what you're trying to accomplish in the space, right, depends on which way you lean that way. But, you, you know, you're going to get both. I don't think you're ever going to get a situation where you're going to get all just fully decentralized because that just doesn't work. Gonzo, and I'm going to end the show with a very funny article. So just give me two seconds here to pull it up because I know you got to run. So first of all, thank you for being here. Thank you for making time for us. There was an article I saw earlier this morning where Italian, an Italian company was creating cheese with blockchain technology involved. And this is pretty funny. So I'm going to end the show with this. Italian producers install edible blockchain chips into the Parmesan cheese. So I just wanted to get your opinion on this because I know it's funny. But imagine if they start implementing this stuff into our food without telling us. Italian producers of Parmesan cheese are fighting against the intimidations by installing edible microchips. This Parmesan cheese company will have microchips on their 90-pound cheese wheel as part of an endless cat and mouse game between the makers of authentic and fake products. But what are we seeing here, Gonzo? This stuff is becoming integrated with our biology, which I think is really interesting. So I thought it was kind of funny, but I don't know. What do you think? That's crazy, dude. Uh, um, you know, I, I, I understand. Look, there are very good use cases for blockchain, and I think it's needed, but not everything has to be blockchain. Like, I don't think it's going to absolutely take over every little cr nook and cranny of our lives. I think there is um, actual real utility for blockchain, but not with everything, right? Like, so th that's a funny story. Like, if you want to track the cheese and use blockchain, like with supply uh, and demand, I think that's a good use case, but like, um, yeah, uh, uh, putting a microchip inside of cheese, bro, that so people can eat it. Like, I, I don't know about that, bro. No blockchain cheese for Gonzo this morning, guys. And we got 281 <laughs> live listeners here. First of all, thank you for being here. Show us some love. Smash that like button. And we're going to end this show the same way we always do by saying thank you to each one of our special guests, which today it's just Gonzo. It was just me. Thank you so love much, you guys. Gonzo. We love you. We appreciate you. Thank you for being here, guys. We'll see you guys in 23 hours. And tomorrow, we're going to be having showtime on the show. But also tonight, and I'm going to pause this really quick because I just remembered <laughs> this, guys. Tonight at 8.30 p.m., we're going to be having a Merlin Spaces here. And I'm just pulling up the graphic with one oh, of nice. our good Ito Farina. So anybody who follows Ito on Twitter, go check it out. 8.30 p.m. tonight, I'm going to be hosting this event. And the topic will be digital revolution u.s banks are shifting now i'm gonna pin this on my twitter account so go set up the notifications so we can see you guys tonight but i'm gonna get back to this thing thank you gonzo we'll see you guys in 23 hours and like we always say warriors ah, get your shit together baby thank you for joining us thank you gonzo. let's go love you guys see ya